Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Kai, and we're both boy mums navigating the tween and teenage years, discussing nutrition, exercise, midlife, lifestyle, and more. And this is the Midlife Munching and Movement Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. So this week we will be discussing all things ageing and we have asked some of you to send us your worries, concerns and questions about ageing. So let's get started. Hi Jen. Hi Kyra, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited for this one. Me too, we had the same thought there. (laughs) I think it's something that like we talk about so much throughout our lifetime um, and particularly now that we're midlife women and we work predominantly with midlife women that this Mm -hmm. is a conversation that comes up a lot so we both asked independently across our socials didn't we the questions about aging and I think it was for me it was interesting the like breadth of topics that actually came up I yeah it was really um unfocused I'm gonna say I think yeah. on that one because it, there wasn't I thought I would get much more questions about perhaps what to eat over how to exercise but it was a real real broad spectrum of things from everything like empty nest yeah. tips on how to get through it and right through to food and exercise as well so yeah it's a really in-depth one I think absolutely I think as well and one of the things that came up was um it was a comment from my mum so obviously she's seven she's in the 70s now she's 76 and I found what she said really interesting and I wanted to bring that up at the beginning um because it's something that I've heard a lot of older people mention and I remember working with a woman probably about 10 years ago and she would have been I think heading towards sort of her 50s at that point and I remember her saying to me um you become invisible as you get older and my mum said exactly the same thing on socials I don't know if you saw it and she said years ago my mum said years ago when people used to say to her like as you get older you get invisible she used to think what a load of rubbish no you don't she said but she's mm-hmm. she can now say as as a woman in her 70s she truthfully says you actually notice it that people stop including you in in conversations that people don't necessarily like talk to you as much when you're out and about and, and things mm-hmm. like that and I, I wondered at what age that starts to become more noticeable for women so obviously the two examples that I've given there was a woman approaching her 50s and then somebody you know much later in life and in her in a 70s heading towards her 80s and I just wondered if that's anything that's come up for you and, and any of your family or friends I think it's definitely something that comes up regularly um there's a whole with um, age concern they did a whole campaign about loneliness in old age Mm. a number of years ago and and it's it's something that affects men and women just from like families live further away now and don't see their parents as much there isn't as much community around certainly with covid a lot changed so people were shielding not sort of going out a lot more um 
I've got a lady that lives across the road from me. She's in her 80s. She always looks like she's doing really well. She's healthy, well turned out. Like we have a chat whenever I see her. But she turned out she was quite ill and she's just gone into hospital and you would never have known because her generation wouldn't have spoken about something like that and I think that's possibly part of it is the conversations we have now are very different to the conversations that somebody of that age would perhaps have I know with my mum there are certain things that she wouldn't talk about that I find quite natural But as to what age it happens, I don't know because I often find this same conversation happens with new mums and pregnant women. So it would come up. I had one today about when you have your second child. No one really bothers once you have your second child that you don't get the cards, you don't get the visits, you don't get as much. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if an element of it is partly we make ourselves a little bit invisible as well because we're so I think once you become a mum certainly you spend so much time looking after someone else and having their needs that I think there is that element of you don't see yourself Mm, as much so perhaps that enables other people to not see you as well I know it's definitely something that I talk about with um, my new mums a lot, certainly when they're pregnant, everyone's over them, (laughs) making sure they're all right. And, you know, they've got to sit on a lily pad and they can't do anything. And I think as women get older, it's definitely, you just kind of fade into the background, don't you? Yeah, I think the people's confidence goes Mm. as well as they get older, particularly if you experience ill health, or your body shape changes, perhaps you change the way that you dress, the way that you move, the circles that you go in. For example, we've just been talking before we came on here about how tired I am today because I was out until 11 o'clock last night. I'm absolutely (laughs) exhausted. Um, Whereas there would have been times where you could go out till 5am and just feel fine the next day. And so you're less out there, aren't you, as well? You do less. So then I suppose, is there an element of, you say you're kind of keeping yourself away from other people. Mm, Yeah, I mean, I know, like, I joke about it a lot that I don't see my friends because I think we probably meet up maybe once every four months, all of us together. There's, like, a group of six of us. And it's they're, like, my ride-or-die friends, so I've been friends with them for years and years. And we've been through births, deaths, marriages, divorces, you know major life changes with each other and it's never that there's been a falling out that we haven't seen each other it's all literally we're just living our lives and sometimes I have to remember that I haven't told them things that's going on in my life because I'm so caught up in it Mm. that I haven't made the effort and I think part of it which sounds really silly but we have so many different forms of conversations uh, of um, sorry platforms of communication that's true that perhaps it's so many that you take it for granted like I was thinking about it the other day none of my actual friends are on my social media Mm. like my real life friends do not follow me on social media 
but that's where I share most of my things. So I would assume that they know what I'm doing and how life's going and then I'll see them and they'll be like, why haven't you told me? Yeah. Like, oh, do you know what I mean? And it's not, it's not an intentional thing. I, I don't even know if I'm on their social media, to be honest with you, because I, I used to make more effort to message them and phone them like even through lockdown we were we used to have a a weekly zoom catch up coffee (laughs) or cocktail but then you just get back to your your original life yeah and it's hard I don't and I think part of it is us taking responsibility for that but also I think that we're the sandwich generation we can't forget that can we is that like we're caring mm. for children and elder relatives as well as working yeah yeah exactly yeah and life is I do think that life is probably a lot busier in your midlife era than Mm. at any other point in your life because you've got those older kids that don't necessarily need you physically as Mm. much anymore for their caring needs but if I have to pick someone up and drop them off somewhere else, it's not a day doesn't go by where I feel like a taxi. I'm finally entering that era of life that my mum used to moan about. And I used to be like, oh. <laughs> um, so you lose but, yourself a little bit, don't you? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you yeah. do. You, you do lose yourself a little bit, I think, from when you have babies. Certainly there is this misconception that you pop baby out and then you're back to normal. Mm. And actually emotionally and hormonally it can take up to two years and then I think if we liken menopause and and perimenopause to that that's a whole process and that can take years and years to go through and if like I know women who their periods are changing and so they either have to carry a change of underwear and whatever form of protection that they use or they're just like oh no I, I just go to work and I come home and I try not to do anything because they never know when it's going to come yeah. so they're like they won't do the things that they normally do because they don't want to go to a spa day or be in the gym or whatever and, and suddenly get a surprise but I also think societally interestingly I had I had a lady comment and say she was looking forward to disappearing and now she feels like she can't because on the other on the other side of it, look at people that are in their 50s and 60s now and how they look compared yeah. to when our parents were in their 50s and 60s. And like, I remember my mum at 50 and she certainly didn't dress the way that Jennifer Lopez is dressing. No. And, and I think the, the pressure still is there. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's nicer to disappear. <laughs> not have the pressure so so essentially in in a nutshell what we're saying is that it's a slow taking ourselves away from society so that by the time we get past like we get to the empty nest se- section of life and then beyond we've kind of got so busy with our lives and our children and fulfilling all of the roles that we are that we have in our lives that w- our lives have become quite small and that the feeling of invisible invisibility then is probably enhanced I think that's a fair Mm. summary yeah and it Mm. is that I think it's definitely something that comes up with a lot of people around our age that are approaching that phase where they have more time on their hands because Mm. their children do need them less and are going off to live their lives that actually 
if you are not somebody that has kept in touch with themselves and their hobbies and people say what are your hobbies and you're like um um <laughs> like have a and conversation like last week <laughs> yeah yeah like all the things that I like in my my hobbies they're, they're molded Link. into my life but if you were to say like what do you like to do for fun on your own I probably wouldn't know because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, it was interesting what you, uh, what you said about how people look different now in their fifties and sixties to how our parents' parents looked in their fifties and sixties, and mentioned J Lo, goddess that she is. She is. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know that was something that came up. Anti aging came up in a few <laughs> of the messages that like got sent to me. Um, and actually, it was something that I was thinking about um, myself, because when we, we went out last night and I was purposefully looking at women my age to see. And, and it's such a wide variety of, of women um, of all different shapes, sizes, um, dress sense, etc. But I did notice that there was a lot more women that you could clearly see used cosmetic um, or aesthetic surgery um botox mm -hmm. fillers um you know breast implants other bodily and facial enhancements and things like that um and i was thinking how interesting that is for us from a societal point of view and whether there's a pressure there to kind of keep up with the women that want to take that road or whether the women who want to take that road feel a pressure from the women who don't want to take that road I don't know where I stand on that. I haven't had any work done yeah. and it's not something that I can see happening for myself immediately. Yeah. I'm not saying I will never because there are, I think there are massive pressures now. I think what I don't like about it is the anti-aging. Yeah. Like that whole phrase of like, anti-age why like I think I just look at it from a different perspective I see so many people that are older that are struggling because they're older and so many people that have died before it's been their time to yeah. die that I just feel like aging is a blessing it's a privilege that a lot of people don't get yeah. and I'm not saying not to make the best of yourself I'm fully I 100% think that you need to do the things that make you happy and feel better about yourself because there is nothing if you get a woman that is not happy insecure and underconfident she's actually quite dangerous but if you are fulfilled and happy and from the inside really confident in how who you are and how you look that's absolute magical the the joy and the love that she can spread is to so many people so I haven't chosen to have any work I'm not saying that I would never but me it's a bit of fear I have not actually thought, I've watched my nan and my mum age and my auntie's age and we don't age badly. I don't yeah. know what it is. Maybe we've just got a good gene. Mm -hmm. But my nan was 79 when she died and she didn't 
look 79 I'm not really sure what 79 looks like but like (laughs) we have quite thick skin so I don't know if that means that we don't like get an overly wrinkled face which I I think is something that I haven't considered how my face is going to look when I've got wrinkles or where they're going to come up but I think I have this overwhelming fear that if I put something into my body that I don't fully understand and I don't like it or have a bad reaction to it that's worse to me would you forgive yourself afterwards I've like I've probably seen too many photos of people that have gone too far you've been watching botched (laughs) (laughs) it's just like I just know and and I think that's part of it as well is that I probably would be Mm. in that category of women that would like it just would never be enough if I had something done I would need something more Mm. and I think it's that whole you become accustomed to the way that you look so then in you just are a bit blah about it so you have to go up a little bit more you know so I could definitely you you could spend forever nitpicking at yourself couldn't you 100 percent yeah and I think, I mean, I've had Botox in the past. It lasts about three months. I've had it in the frown line. Um, and then in my, they're called bunny lines. It's the bit that stops you scrunching your nose up. Oh, really? I didn't know you could get it there. Um, I had it there. And the reason that I did that is because I have rosacea and eczema. And I'd seen online and I couldn't find any studies to back it up. But I thought it was worth a try that it would help. So I tried it and it didn't help. So I never had it again. Um, and then I tried it in the top of my forehead to see whether it would lift the sagging eyelid. We all get mm. that. What's it, hooded eyes? They, you know. they are definitely getting bigger for me. And I, I think that that's something I have looked into is getting the eyelids cut off. Like not cut off, but like this bit here, getting it lifted. Yeah. But... I don't like people touching my eyes, so that's just not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Will you be asleep? But, but yeah, I tried that, and honestly, I don't think it made much difference. It's very expensive. It was interesting to try it. Um, I can't say I would never have it again in the future. Maybe I would. But I agree with you that I could easily get carried away and want to fix this 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 but ultimately we've talked at length in the past about I've done a lot of work on myself and I'm actually quite happy with who I am and aging Mm. isn't necessarily a big problem to me I do like you see it as a privilege but I have a lot of friends who you who have Botox and fillers um and it is kind of, I do feel that pressure to kind of feel like, oh, do I need to keep up? Because they're all gorgeous. Um, yeah. And so it's just, I just think it's a really interesting topic for me. I'm on the fence with it. I'm neither for nor against. However, I did see Botox being used to reduce the um, traps. Mm-hmm. And that was called Barbie Botox, <laughs> Barbie Botox wasn't it? where they get the muscle at the end of the neck, between the neck and the shoulder in order to... Because essentially what Botox does is it atrophies the muscle, it makes the muscle shrink, doesn't it? It Freezes it and makes it shrink. And they were injecting that to give women a more Barbie-esque shoulder sleek. Yes. Look, which to me, I'm not quite sure why. Just go to the gym. 
do we have do we get in measured on how nice our shoulders are now but then I I think that leads into so many different conversations number one it's that bulky look again Mm -hmm. that that they're targeting and, and saying to women that if you do go to the gym and you do work out, you're going to get that quote unquote bulky look. Oh, um, the amount of work then... you would have to do <laughs> to get that bulky look. But then, but then it's also saying that like, if you're not somebody that has a naturally long, thin neck, mm. then again, like that's wrong. Yeah. And you know, everyone wants to look their best. I don't believe that there is anyone mm. that wants to feel bad. Because I, I do think if you feel bad, you look bad. I'm very much someone that does believe like you radiate what's on the inside. And some procedures just cannot hide that you feel like crap on the inside. <laughs> but to me, that that's probably the most pointless one I have a lot of friends that have Botox and I'll be honest until I asked them about it I didn't actually know that they had it Mm. because I just don't notice those things like I'm somebody that has a very naturally expressive face I can't hide what I'm thinking often I have to work very hard to do that yeah um but I just they just are naturally the type of people that like they keep a very straight face and don't really know, know what they're thinking of anyway. But also I do think that things like Botox and fillers can be really subtle. I think we've all got these horror stories of botched and celebrities that like look like they're like their face can't move and you think, what have they done? But actually in real life, most of the people who have it, exactly. we just would never even notice. That's probably why I haven't. Mm. And I do, but then I also think that like Botox is also used um my cousin has got cerebral palsy and she has it often to help control with her sweating yeah um so I think you know it has a lot of uses I just personally I I can't get on board with the whole Barbie Botox for the traps I just I don't understand it because what it effectively does is stop the muscle working so if you're stopping the muscle working and then once that effect goes up, are you not going to want to lift your shoulders? Like, do you just yeah. want to constantly sit with them draping? And and if that's what we're, it's not our generation of women that I fear for, because I, I do think that particularly that 50s to maybe 55 to like 35 range, we have been around enough without social media to have a context of, what real life actually is whereas a younger generation that have just grown up with social media and are just seeing all these things and how it's like really normalized Mm. that they're the people that I fear for because Mm. they're the ones that are going to get it like oh I can't age I can't get gray hair I can't like nobody tells you the fact that your eyebrows start to get a little bit thinner because they're all <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It's impossible. If you actually have a full-blown conversation of what can happen to your body as you age, then you can choose what is right for you and what isn't. But if all we see That's is perfect. images that are making us think you're not perfect the way that you are, I think that's really dangerous. I, I worry about 
there's a lot of people under 30, even under 25, using Botox regularly and topping it up every three months. And I, yeah. I, I don't know enough about it to say one way or another, and this is just purely opinion as most of this is, but surely if you're not constantly exercising those muscles in your face and you're constantly atrophying them, then they're going to waste away. They're going to stop working. What's going to happen to those faces as they age? Well, one of my clients is actually... Um, a beautician that that does the Botox and it is something that I've spoken to her about because I was like I don't know if to get it this is what I'm worried about how do I know and she was lovely she answered all my questions and we had a, a good laugh about it and you know she was like if you want it done just calm if you don't like it's fine but she she was very much very educated in it and I think that's what you've mm. got to seek out and find is somebody that is very educated can explain all of the risks and she was saying and that it's basically, yes, exactly. Yes. She, well, she she was a nurse, yeah. yeah. Um, so she was saying that basically, you want the start of the lines in the forehead because you've got enough muscle tone that they will effectively remember how to work. Yes, there's no such thing as preventative Botox, is what she was saying, because okay. it's you've got to you've got to have the muscle tone there to do it to inject because uh, yeah. yeah because otherwise it just like but was... that, I think that's why you if you do do it that early that's why you have to consistently get it done which is interesting actually because if we think back to some of the celebrities now who are now removing things like that they it, they did experience drooping etc didn't they so that's interesting uh, whilst we're talking about muscles then should we move on to talk about like muscle wastage as we age because that came up um yeah didn't it and I think um I'm actually really pleased that it did this is this is like your little subject isn't it you love I am yeah it is my subject but it's also I'm just really pleased that women are thinking about it now yeah like it's such an important part of remaining healthy and independent and reducing risk of frailty as we get older so for women to be actively talking about you know you know maintaining muscle mass as they go through midlife to me I I get really excited about that because obviously in society we and specifically in healthcare that's something that's quite a concern and quite a cost uh, to the healthcare system and actually it's really quite preventable now we're talking here about muscle wastage as we get older which is um or muscle loss which would come under a, a an umbrella term of sarcopenia which some listeners may have heard of and some may not have um it's a difficult subject to talk about because there isn't one specific measurement for it so there isn't a medical clinical way of us diagnosing it per se so but what we do know is that it is the prevalence of it is actually really quite high however because there isn't that one universal way of measuring sarcopenia or diagnosing sarcopenia we can't specifically say what the prevalence of it is we've got rough ideas of it in society but <laughs> there will be settings in 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 within society where it will be more prevalent for example in a care home it would be more prevalent because people would be more sedentary in community living like people so like you and I as we get older hopefully we we have the privilege to live in our own home 
and not in a care home, then that would be less so in that community. However, it is still a concern. And when people come into hospital with other illnesses, that deterioration of muscle is it is really there. And there are things that people can do to maintain that. And so, you know, it's things like making sure they're eating a healthy, balanced diet with enough protein in it um, and weight training. But that's your baby, isn't it? <laughs> training. I think it's it's important to point out, like you've said, if if you've if you're privileged enough as you grow older to live in your own home, mm-hmm. it's less prevalent. However, is down to your lifestyle. So yeah. if you are someone that does just sit in your chair and doesn't have an active lifestyle, then you're going to get it just as much as you would if you were in a care home. And I think that's one thing for both of us that's quite important to point out is that I know we talk a lot about strength training and going to the gym, but you can do strength training at home with your normal daily life. Yeah. Um, so we do obviously talk about like lifting weights and, you know, resistance training, that kind of thing. But um, there's something we utilize quite a lot called active daily living, um, which is just literally living your life a little more actively. Mm-hmm. So um, we often, as people get older, um, I think we have this, and I'm certainly guilty, guilty of it with my nan. I have been less guilty of it with my parents because I, I, I know the consequences. And sometimes I feel really harsh, but other times I'm like, no, it's for your own good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll back down and other times I won't. But um, we have this real need to do everything for them suddenly they can't reach up to the top shelf Mm. or they can't climb up a two-step ladder or you know lift their shopping in and things like that and we and it it is done out of love it's done out of that protectiveness and I think possibly even out of a lack of patience because there is that factor as somebody gets older and you start to care for them particularly you're like oh I've got to be here at this time I've got to do this I've got to do that and it and it can factor in for a lot of women that they've got to drop a kid off go to their parents and do this and do that and then get back for this time so you know all of these factors come in but just in your general daily life if you are sitting around as somebody that isn't working anymore mm-hmm. that has less um hobbies and activities and stuff to do there are things that and think there are things that you can do in the home so encouraging that a little bit more um I'm a massive fan of stairs so I always see quite a downfall of people's health once they move into a bungalow yeah to be quite honest and my dad would love to move into a bungalow it's not happening have told him until he's got no legs Mm. or until he physically can't like you're staying on the stairs because for him in particular it is the only exercise that he would get Mm. a lot of days because he won't like he lives in a flat so he has to walk down to the shop and walk back up and that is not thought of as exercise but as you age and you are less active that's a lunging pattern yes and you know, it's really good for your hips, for your quads, for your glutes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so just carrying shopping like, bags it's like a farmer's walk yeah, isn't it you know yeah exactly really good for you um don't move things lower into lower cabinets Mm -hmm. don't stop them stepping up on little steps to reach for the top shelf just find little ways that you have to make that little bit more effort while you can because that will keep you doing those things for longer and I think that's the thing that you've got to remember you're doing it to push your boundaries a little bit more of what you can do a day and and I think just people asking probably wondering why why is that why is that so much more important? Actually, really interesting fact is that the um, the NHS and the World Health Organization guidelines for exercise are 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week mm-hmm. or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise a week mm-hmm. until you are 60. And at 60, they add on two strength training sessions a week as well as that 150 minutes. And the reason for that is because between the ages of 40 and 80, we get 30 to 50% muscle loss if it is not constantly worked on. And so fat will then infiltrate into the muscle and then it will in, it will impair the muscle growth. So the more active you can stay from 40 onwards, the more protective of your muscle that will be. It will protect the infiltration of the fat into the muscle itself. And, and that you know, I think that's a really, it's one of those things that I always say, the things that I've learned through my education, through learning nutrition, through studying dietetics, there's so much of it that I think this should actually just be common knowledge because knowledge is power. And if you understand that's why that happens, then you can work on protecting yourself from it. Um, Yeah. You know, it's a lot of numbers and things like that and, and words people are not familiar with. But actually, if it can just kind of explain why do we get more body fat as we get older? Why do we lose muscle as we get older? Well, it's because, you know, our hormones change. So our estrogen levels and our testosterone levels drop. So therefore, the our muscle will start to reduce slowly. However, that doesn't mean you can't continue to build it and strengthen it and protect it from loop from being lost more quickly I think does it come out it's around do they say three to five percent each decade after mm. you're 40 35 yeah, I 40. Think it's, it's lean body mass I've got here declines by 0.5 percent and then fat mass goes up by 1.7 percent per year yeah so it's, it, I think the facts around it as well um we have to kind of take some personal responsibility for but also like so for instance if you go to the doctors and they say they, they'll show you a website um with it on mm-hmm. and kind of it use that and research it but go to looking for the sites with good quality um information as opposed to just google because that if yeah. you just google it like it's just and I think we focus so much on the complicated side of things and the um, mindset of lack of as opposed to preventative and house and simplicity. So I have an analogy um, which a lot of trainers use called the KISS analogy, which is keep it simple. 
and it really is and that's why things like if you look at strength training we say two days a week most people have the vision of going into the gym and for women particularly of an older generation like I teach an over 50s class and Mm -hmm. they were terrified to lift weights they were like oh no I'm gonna hurt myself and oh no or too heavy and and don't think about it and one of them hilariously um she loves gardening right she's um a real avid gardener so I don't know a lot about gardening it's not my forte but I was asking her questions about it and she was saying that she lifted all these heavy like sacks and things and I was like well do you never think how that's gonna hurt your back she's like well well no because it's just the garden I was like okay how much does that weigh on average and she didn't know and we googled it and it was very similar to the weight that I was asking her to lift Mm -hmm. and so just the context of if you do this it can help you with this helped her mindset change and when you talk about resistance training it doesn't have to be weights no like the the way to start is body weight like every time you sit on the toilet you're squatting Every time you sit down in a chair, you're squatting. Every time you're going up the stairs, that's a lunge pattern. When you pick something off the floor, that's a deadlift pattern. When you're getting a cup from the cupboard, you know, that's an overhead movement. It's all these teeny weeny little movements. And when you think, um, I haven't got the facts in front of me, but I know after the age of 75, like your risk of fractures and falls goes up. Yeah. Uh, if you fall so we do a lot of falls prevention work so if you fall how are you going to get yourself up so mm-hmm. something like a push-up would be really useful to learn but you don't have to start from the floor so and there's a thing as well I think as an exercise community what we do is we give a like we give you what it should look like at the end of your training but not very often do we scale that back to this is how it could look to start with yes yeah that's a really really important like somebody who's never been in a gym before if they come to me they don't just come in and I get them bashing out like 50 60 push-ups like full body weight from the floor like it, it can be dangerous to do something like that and trainers that are bringing someone in and absolutely beasting them and making them feel sick and not want to exercise like those types of trainers they do exist but they're not helping yeah they're they're not a different category of people aren't they yeah exactly like some people do really want that Mm -hmm. and and I think that's an important point is that people have a perception of trainers that we will just go into beast mode yeah that boot camp yeah which come on it depends on your goal and it depends on your ability and that's what a good trainer will do when you walk in they'll assess you Mm -hmm. they'll watch they'll ask you the relevant questions we are there to absolutely push you but we're there to also make sure that you can do it within your range so if you describe your life to us and you say you know I work with my grandchildren and I often have to sit on the floor like I've had one lady very recently her goal was to sit on the floor and play with her grandchildren but she couldn't do that she found it incredibly difficult so we had to look at why and then work around that and now she's sitting on the floor like it's not easy but she's doing it and every time she does it it gets easier Mm. and that's what we want to do from a nutrition and an exercise point of view is 
keep you healthier from the inside so you have longevity of life and with muscles that aren't working and bones that can't support you yeah it's gonna be a long life Mm. without being able to do a lot and and naturally that's a really nice link into let's talk about osteoporosis because there's a couple of things that you mentioned in that what you just said there that talked about you know falls fractures osteoporosis you know bone health and how you know looking after your muscles staying fit keep you know being able being less frail people don't I'm not sure everybody some people I'm not sure everybody understands how that can improve your bone density um and so I've got a few statistics here um on osteoporosis that I have taken from a report by NICE um in April 2023 the prevalence of osteoporosis is two percent at age 50 and increases to 50 percent at age 80 so 50 percent of the population that's ridiculous 80 year olds osteoporosis um and the in women is one in three women um and one in five men one in five men over 50 are at risk of a fracture so one in three women in one in five men over 50 are at risk of a fracture that's the prevalence of that and i think you know this is this is like that's really serious because when we then go on to look at the other statistics in that paper such as hip fractures for example 20 percent of hip fractures are fatal um now obviously there's 80 percent that aren't but it's still if that 20 percent is huge um and it is something that we can help protect ourselves against um and i think it's kind of nice to, to mention you know like you've just explained there so many really helpful things that you can do exercise wise that will help um to improve um bone density um and then we can also talk about you know making sure you've got a diet rich in calcium that you're taking your vitamin d supplements um which you know they're really important in your bone health as well um and and just make sure that you are physically active and stuff like that, not smoking, perhaps not drinking and, and other things that can, can be helpful as well. Because it is, for me personally, I, we've spoken before, I love to run. Now, I know that's going to be really helpful for my um, bone density. It's going to be helpful for cardiovascular reasons. However, looking at the guidelines, I know that I have to incorporate that strength training to make sure that I mm-hmm. am really honestly and truthfully protecting myself, protecting my muscle mass mm-hmm. and my bones against osteoporosis in the future. So I, and I'm someone who kind of likes rules as well. So the fact that it says 150 minutes of exercise a week and two strength training sessions works really well for me because if I hit that, I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, the thing with the guidelines is um they are obviously guidelines some need more some need a little bit less that's the, the on the average yeah and I think when you're looking at how to fit that into your life that's one thing like if I mention those to clients instantly they do that how am I going to fit that in mm. and I think Part of the beauty of getting older and being needed less is that you do have more availability to do things that you want to do. It's just looking at your priorities. And I think that's something like 
you have to consider your health a priority. Yeah. And that's how you have to look at it. And it might be that you can't go to the gym, but you can do something else. So you love your running. Mm-hmm. If you couldn't get out and do your running for your cardiovascular health, because you have to clean the house, put some music on at your house and jump up and down between every chore or yeah. walk up and down the stairs that extra few times and make that. And you have to think of it like you are working for your future health if we were told I mean we'll probably go into it in more in depth in in and podcast but when you're a woman and you have eggs when you are pregnant you have the ability to um share with your granddaughter so women are born with all of their eggs So what you're eating and the way that you're exercising has a direct impact on the future generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything that happens. And I think there is such a emphasis on getting healthier when you're pregnant that that we need to encourage how that happens through age, like without, it sounds contradictory, but without pressurizing women. We have to do it in a way where we realise that that's for our health. At the end of the day, statistically, women outlive men. Yes. Okay. So we might love them, but we cannot rely on them to be around forever. So if you want to lift your shopping from your your boot, your car, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to learn to lift (laughs) a little bit heavier. And I think it's when you when you into how it happens with your life and what that could mean it has a bit more correlation to why going back to what you said about you know, being presented with the information and then but you don't know what they don't know mm. and I think if we're in the industry to us I mean I know we have conversations a lot where we, we're just like a bit confused as to how people don't know yeah things and then we're well actually we didn't know like a year ago yeah (laughs) yeah and another interesting um thing that came up was um brain health so I don't know a lot about this this is it confuses me I'll be honest yeah so tell me about it well (laughs) the (laughs) sadly this is that actually we don't know a lot about this and that it's still really new science there are a lot of practitioners at the moment trying to make some bold claims around hormone replacement therapy um and maybe I think I don't know if you saw there was a thing on tv that Davina McCall hosted about the menopause and she mentioned um I try not to watch (laughs) I know and she was talking to Dr Moscone who is one of the leading experts in women's brain health and she is researching trying to find out if there is a link between dementia and alzheimer's and menopause and nothing has been found as of yet but currently as it stands at the moment the evidence suggests that yes women experience cognitive um symptoms during menopause so we're all familiar with things like brain fog and you know other vasomotor symptoms hot flushes and things like that and they are really horrible, scary, and very real things for women to go through. It's really, really distressing. That's something that women are struggling with. But 
it does appear to be temporary. The, mm-hmm. All of the data is showing that once you are through that, menop- once you're through perimenopause and you've gone through menopause, menopause, by the way, is classed as one year without period, with, without a period. Mm-hmm. So that's when you, you are through menopause. Um, then those symptoms kind of ebb away and you get that clarity of thought back or lots of women do anyway and so it's going to be an interesting time to just watch what's happening with that science as it develops because there's a lot going on at the moment so you know go perhaps go and follow um, Dr Moscone on social media see she's constantly putting stuff out there there was another one I've got let me see if I can find what I've I've written her her down Dr Mackey M-A-K-I definitely worth going reading the paper that she wrote on brain fog in menopause if this is something that is concerning you um so there's some really interesting information in that as well but at the moment there's nothing to worry about with any links because there's nothing been proven one way or the other however there is a lot to be said for the link between exercise and brain health so we have lots of evidence to show that people who exercise regularly um that reduces the risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, obviously, no, it's that's not me saying that's a cure or anything like that. It's just that these things are proven to or shown in the data that they reduce the risk. Uh, so that's that's really interesting. And also to keep challenging your brain and to keep learning. Mm, so mm. somebody, um, a health practitioner that I know personally was saying today, earlier today, that actually she's going to continue doing Duolingo. Have you heard of that? It's a, yeah, yeah. an app that you learn a language on and she's going to continue to do that to stretch her brain and learn new things daily. So if there is something that you can, even if it's just puzzles and games and things like that, that stretch you to use your mind, and there is evidence to show that that's, that can be really helpful in keeping our brains healthy as we age. So yeah, that I like you say, I'm not an expert on that either. Um, there are lots of people out there sharing some really excellent information. Definitely go and seek them out. Maybe one day we'll get one on. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Be I good. think it's it's a worry for me, again, just with information that comes out as to, like, it does very much, if you are popular, people take what you say as gospel. Yeah. And I think that can often be quite dangerous Mm. because it's not necessarily like I understand that people use most their platform to share information that they feel is useful and can help people. But I think you've also got to be really careful of confirmation bias. Mm. So if you have somebody that is specifically looking for something to be proven, are they necessarily going to go out and seek information that contradicts what they think? Yeah. And then are they going to challenge that and understand the nuance in all of those things? And I think particularly with the internet, now it's easy to find things that can scare you mm-hmm. because part of that is helpful to be yeah. if you're if you're an industry that benefits from people being scared then it's very beneficial to scare them yes you know yeah so particularly with women it's 
usually more women than men Mm -hmm. and it's usually at times where they are very vulnerable which I do think that menopause can be a time for many women that is you know you can feel very vulnerable in many ways not just physically and emotionally Mm -hmm. but you know mentally as well because there is that you do have that time where you're like, well, am I going a little bit crazy or am I approaching perimenopause or, you yeah. know, what is going on? And and I think it's really easy to find information that does make you feel more crazy. And then there is generally, I don't know, like a special tea that you can drink that will stop that, yeah. you know? So I think those things are really, really important to be aware of. And you just mentioning a couple of good people to follow would be like hopefully really helpful to somebody. Yeah, especially if that's something that they're particularly worried about. I think, um, you know, um, somebody asked, you know, is there anything special that that we should be eating or doing Mm -hmm. nutrition wise with regards to menopause? And I think what you've said there really leans into that because, how many people are there selling special diets and special exercises mm. to women mm-hmm. at midlife experience perimenopause and menopause, which like you said, is really scary transitional time in, in women's lives. And it's just totally unnecessary, you know, balanced diet, making sure you're eating protein, plenty of fiber, moving your body in the best way that you can mm-hmm. and stimulating your brain in the best way that you can in ways that feel supportive of you without any stress you know, without any pressure, yeah. you know, just taking your time and doing it in a way that feels supportive, feels good for you and looking after your health to the best of your ability. And if you need support, yeah, there are plenty of good practitioners out there that will help help you. Um, But there's no one particular way that is. Exactly. Yeah. I think (laughs) the question of, is there something that I should be eating, particularly in menopause, I'm I really I I have to bite my tongue a lot I'm going to be honest because my initial reaction is no because I don't feel that there is and from what I can see on the evidence there isn't isn't. and more and more now we are seeing um, things like you have to do it intermittent fasting you have to avoid insulin spikes you have to I don't know the cabbage soup diet, whatever. And I think the thing to remember is that intermittent fasting isn't a bad thing and nor is it a good thing. It can be a really useful tool. It is something that I have used with some clients because it has suited their lifestyle because Mm. something that it does do for a lot of people is it takes away the guilt of if they're in a particularly heavily demanding job and say you put them on a strict eating schedule where they have to eat every four hours that can really encourage people to feel guilt that they can't make it pressure that they're not doing it which then leads to stress which then just affects everything else that we're trying to do and -hmm. it doesn't become enjoyable so intermittent fasting can be a really useful tool to get you a result that you want within a prolonged period of time Mm -hmm. but is it something that I would recommend full time highly unlikely for a variety of reasons insulin spikes just no (laughs) i I mean the very fact that there's a whole company out there right now that is like making a mint in healthy people to wear glucose yeah it's yeah like an insulin spike 
is a natural bodily response to eating your food yeah if you do not get an insulin spike after eating carbohydrates <laughs> you're probably not walking around yeah <laughs> you know and it it, it blood it, it really it, does the thing that gets me is there's a there's a person that sells a book and a diet as well and probably works alongside that company or is friends with that in fact I've seen them on the same um, podcast um, and talks about eating your food in a certain pattern so that you yeah. reduce and I'm just like that's disordered eating you're literally yeah, promoting disordered eating 100%. You, can't eat, you can't eat your carbohydrate until you've eaten your protein and your fiber like seriously if I want a packet of crisps I'm having a packet of crisps if I well, want one yeah. whether they've got protein and fiber with them or not um and that's and guess what my blood sugar will spike because that's normal uh, just it's it's all got a little bit crazy I think yeah the last thing that we need to cover before we move on to the weight what section is we had I asked the question didn't I about what people the most about aging and one of the responses was fertility and I thought this mm-hmm. comment was brilliant because she said I spent 15 years trying not to get pregnant I am now 32 and I feel like I'm on a time limit and I I thought was a great comment and a great thing to raise particularly as you know you do so much work with pre and postnatal clients yeah um I'm gonna be honest the IVF community I feel like that's a real specialist subject so when I do get clients that are going down that path I do refer I have some experience but it's limited and I don't think that I'm the best person Mm -hmm. for it with regards to struggling yes there is evidence that suggests your eggs aren't as healthy I think some things that you don't really know as well is that you have a limited time during the month where you can get pregnant anyway like mm. when you are ovulating and it and it become more difficult. And I think the challenges often when you're just starting out are mental um, and you can feel so stressed. And I think part of it is that I, I certainly feel like sometimes it was all I could think about. Mm. And it's, it, it's a really hard one because I think sometimes you need to really focus on the normal things in life if that's the right word where you you're focusing on your health from the inside and stress isn't going to be as helpful as if you were not stressed sleep are you eating a nice well-balanced diet are you putting your body in a place where it feels like it's served Mm. and then I think now it used to be like two years for a, a couple that hadn't had a child before like before the they were seen by the NHS oh yeah but right, I think okay. I think now it might have gone down to a year for anyone to be seen um someone once gave me advice which just to like to do it a lot your response is interesting because um is it the way that that answer was worded that made you think about fertility treatment the way that that question was worded that made you think about because it doesn't mention fertility treatment at all it just says that she's concerned that because she's now 32 she's on the time limit and I think we read that completely differently because I was thinking thinking like maybe she 
you know, there's a stigma around having children at a certain age. I know that maybe was was it um Megan Markle who was called a geriatric mm-hmm. mother as she was over was she or something? Um, I think once you are over thirty, you are yeah yeah. And I think technically, I wouldn't. I, I don't know. It's interesting that you took it that way. It may well that you're right, and it's just open to interpretation but yeah I was I was a bit more from a is that's a society thing isn't it kind of like 32 like I'm I'm time yeah maybe I think yeah I mean hopefully I mean um, I know women who've had children in their mid-40s oh absolutely I think that's the one thing you've got to remember is that actually is it 2021 I'm pretty sure is the last time the average rate came out and it was the average age for his first baby was 30 okay um and I think the average age for dads was like 33 I mean they can kind of do Mm. it whenever can't they but for women I think it's it's I'm sure it's 30 so it's not old and if anything it's getting older I do think that in the media at the moment a lot of people are getting their eggs frozen oh yeah that's a good point. which which could be something that women are now worrying about it isn't a conversation that, that I've had um but I think as women age there is, there is a conception that you you know get to a certain age and your egg health declines and and it's but I also <laughs> There were quite a few women that thought they were going through perimenopause and they weren't, they were pregnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not um, quite. <laughs> and it, it, it happens a lot. And yeah. I, I, I will say in the 10 years that I have taught prenatal women, I have seen that on a rise. I've seen a lot of women go on HRT and come off their pill thinking, well, yeah. I'm going to change now, only to yeah. be blessed. Yeah. <laughs> the new and, family member. And I think uh, <laughs> part of that, again, is like they're probably not, worried about it no yeah absolutely and I, I do that women feel like a pressure to have mm. babies by that age because I think one thing that we don't talk about often with new mums is how to mentally prepare mm. for being a mum because it is the single biggest task like it's I don't that we fully understand exactly what you have to sacrifice in order to be a mum and I don't I'm not that those sacrifices are bad but um or that they're they're not worth it but I think if we are pressuring women to have them in their 20s which is right for some women but if we're like oh you have to do it by the time you're 25 because otherwise you're you're exit I think if that's what we're saying to women we also have to consider like what is it else that they're not informed of yeah, true. Because if we're beating women up saying that they have to have them by the time they're 25 and you've got, was she 32, that lady? And she's worried. Like to me now, personally, having done it, 32 is a really nice age to start considering it because you've had a little bit more of a life. You understand who you are and you are a little bit more prepared to start being yeah. less selfish because ultimately you cannot be selfish and be a mum. Yeah. True. At least for the first, you know, five mm. years of life. I know I said that we were going to move on and wrap this up, but we did. We haven't actually covered empty nest syndrome, which is a massive part of aging. So we'll just very quickly cover that. And I think that that's probably going to be another yet again, and we'll delve more deeply into that. Um, as 
a mother who was a, a mum in her early 20s um, and now, and my son's about to turn 18, that feeling of emptiness, like I have coached lots of women through midlife, seen lots of women experience emptiness and feel that I have tried to put as many things in place as I possibly can so that when the time came that my son was ready to, you know, he's not he's not moving he's not going anywhere (laughs) he's still here but you know he's driving now and the you know we're looking at his future etc a lot of kids go off to university at 18 and we're not sure what path he's going to take yet and and I feel like I prepared myself mentally for this um by you know I have lots of hobbies and I've tried to fill my life up with um, interests and friends and you know going back to university and lots of other things and you know we worked on my marriage and we you know so much to look forward to in the future yet it is still gut-wrenchingly hard like I just wasn't I thought oh I'll be fine <laughs> I'll be like yay job done 42 woohoo off we go into the sunset and I'm like no come back <laughs> mommy still wants a cuddle <laughs> I think it's in it's made that you feel that way in the sense that you feel like you prepared and I love that you say that because to me, I think it's one of those situations where you just realise you can prepare all you want, but you, you're not getting it right. Yeah. And I think that sums up motherhood so perfectly. Like you can literally think that you've got every single base covered and that you know <laughs> full well what is going on, but tough because yeah. that's not how it's happening. Because your emotions don't play the play by the no rules. no and I think as well depending on when that happens in your life like I I think by the time my son is 18 I'm going to be approaching 50 so I'll probably be right in the middle of my menopause so I'll probably be a blooming nightmare I'll be like booked into <laughs> the priory or something I had a I've client... gone, don't worry <laughs> me. I had a client reach out to this she has a child similar age to you who's 18 who's just gone off has now narrowed it down to everything that you've said but the fact that he is leaving home and so with that I think has come a degree of I'm going to call it grief to the you're never going to share a home with that person again. So he might come home to visit, but it's not his home anymore. He'll think of it like, you know, he'll go and live his life and set up somewhere else. And um, I do believe he's joining the RAF, actually. So I think, you know. Yeah, he's... He it, has a home it's, now. Yeah, it's up, yeah. a whole new ball game. And of course, life is only going to go on and progress. And she's very much, she's, I'm so proud of her. She's very much used it as a way to create a whole new life for herself. This is what I want my life to look like with my husband. This is what I want my life to look like with my friends. These are the hobbies that I want to do. And I think she's very much come into play with this is my time, which probably goes back to a little bit of an age thing, like at what age you have your children. Yeah. Because I think it was, it's really interesting. You had your child in your early Mm twenties. I had mine, I think I was 30 as I had him. So I was pregnant at 29. So I 
feel like I went the other way and I kind of had my life, gave up my life and now I need to like find my life again. Yeah. Um. So in that preparation phase, and I think it's a really interesting point that a lot of women bring up, like there is that whole, we do give up on who we are for a little while while our children are there and then almost refine ourselves again. Yeah. And I think certainly in the first two years of like birth, I see that happen to women a lot. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like a new, exciting adventure but also I don't think about it too much because I'm too scared to think about it (laughs) it's so funny though isn't it because like we are somebody's children and god like I still need my mum I still ring my mum you know like and you think it feels like such a wrench but actually how often do, do you call have you throughout your life called and said silly things like can you just come and make me a cottage pie <laughs> I wish she'd be like no I live miles away yeah, so I'm, I moved away I'm not driving 100 home. miles for that <laughs> find it funny I moved away 20 years ago this year and still every time I go home my mum stands at her back gate like waves me off crying and I just Aww. find it really funny and I do really like brush her off I'm like oh don't be silly I'll be back in a few weeks like <laughs> shut up kind of thing and then recently obviously with my son getting older I've been thinking about it a little bit more and I just do not want him to move out (laughs) like he starts high school next week and that's enough now we're not going to grow up anymore we just want to we just yeah just (laughs) like leave it alone I'm not ready you suddenly got sympathy for your mom (laughs) yes that is it but yeah an understanding you know I understand her a lot more now. (laughs) So finally then, before we wrap up, we like to try and add in a wait what moment. (laughs) We had quite a choice this week. (laughs) Been very amusing, some of the comments and suggestions of the strangest um, (laughs) anti-aging techniques that some of you have come across. Jen, (laughs) would you like to... uh, Begin. <laughs> oh, you'd love this, wouldn't you? Okay, I'm going to start simple. Okay. Colonics, so unnecessary. Colonic irrigation. Yeah, yeah. colonic irrigation. I can't think of anything worse than I'm that. Just, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I'm, I just, honestly, I'd rather get old. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've definitely been to it, and then I've been like, nope, I don't yeah. know. Nope, can't. That's there's not one no, me. There's absolutely no evidence to back no. this claim up whatsoever. um this one pee facials or bathing in your own pee yeah and I'm sure right (laughs) there are some celebrities (laughs) okay done this and what does this do I mean I probably should have looked it up but I (laughs) I have a feeling is it something to do with protein so I think okay you collect your own urine and then like you dab it on your face is it Oh, I don't know. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yes, you're right. You dab it on your face. I've just had a quick look. <laughs> I've never heard of it. It's something to do with the pH balance, which is interesting. Oh, okay. I'm going to do a little bit more research on it. Yeah. Apparently, it clears the complexion, tightens pores like a toner, can treat, oh, here you go, Cairo, this is one for you, can help um, treat psoriasis, eczema and acne. Urine from the morning. (laughs) It's from it's your one because it's the most potent and it's it's stayed in your body for the longest time. Okay. It's the oh okay so yeah, 
The claim is that the urea and uric acid in the liquid does everything from exfoliate the skin to help it absorb nutrients, usually lost in the toilet bowl. Yeah, I wanted to say I think it's urea. Yeah, Um, I thought it would be the acid. Yeah, I I did think it would be the urea. but um, And and actually, you look at a lot of creams, particularly creams treat (laughs) eczema and psoriasis, they do contain (laughs) urea. So, yeah. No. Nice. Give it a try. Let us know. <laughs> Send us a message. <laughs> I'll get straight on that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> this one, I can't stop laughing because I remember this. And at the time I was married, and the conversations that I had with my husband oh. were <laughs> this one is rubbing semen on your face. It's an all from me. So apparently, I might change my mind um, about the colonic now. <laughs> if it was a case of would you rather, the claim is that um, it helps with acne because the spermine is an antioxidant, antioxidant and anti-inflammatory agent that combats the blemishes. But I will say there is no evidence to confirm this anywhere. I can't find any. Um, so sorry, lads. It's not yeah, happening. No, we can all do without <laughs> that one. Thank you very much. That is rancid. Love it. I'm more concerned about the fact that you've Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I remember coming out at the time and I, I just looking at my husband thinking like, is that something I could ask him to do? Would, would would the thing just would because it? I was I was really bad acne at the time. It was just after I was pregnant. And my hormones were crazy, yeah. but no, we didn't do that. And you saw the light. <laughs> Your hormones went back the to normal. <laughs> oh dear! Oh, do you have a laugh? Thank you guys for sending in those. Um, because <laughs> they amused us very much. Okay, so what are we talking about next week? We are talking about. Gosh, it's gone off my screen. Have you got it? I have got it. Andy, sorry, it's just disappeared. I think that it really made me laugh that we were both reading the um the spreadsheet wrong, and we we kept (laughs) getting mixed up. But what we're talking about, we don't know. (laughs) Next week it's menstrual cycle. Oh, okay, perfect. Love Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, so we'll talk in depth about the menstrual cycle. I can imagine that this will be focused on cravings, Mm -hmm. training, programming. For training, how to train supportively around your menstrual cycle. Yeah, that's what should be interesting. Yes, perfect. I will see you then. I will see you then. Thank you everyone for listening. If you did enjoy today's podcast, please like, subscribe, and would you please leave us a review? That would be great. Bye. Bye. See you next week.